friends. Welcome back to another episode of So Jaded. Uh, so just a like trigger warning for today's episode. We're going to be talking about eating disorders, the difference between that and disordered eating, mental health, of course. Um, and I just want all of the listeners to go ahead and like protect yourself, make sure you focus on like these types of topics and um, what you can really handle right now, which is totally fine. Um, but we're really excited to talk about this because it's a really important conversation that I think definitely needs to be had during today's times. Um, so yeah, just keep that in mind, definitely. Yeah. So today we have Jade's really good friend, Ellie Lemberg, joining us to help Woo. us with our discussion. Um, so we're going to talk about social media specifically, how it's impacting mental health and eating disorders. So Let's get into it. So, Ellie. Hello. I love you so much. Anyone who listened last season might recognize this wonderful voice. Um, Ellie is my really good friend from Pennsylvania. We go back to third grade. Um, (laughs) Go ahead and just like introduce yourself and talk about like why this is a topic that you're really passionate about and something that you really enjoy talking about. Cool. Well, hi, I'm Ellie Lumberg. I'm a recent graduate from Dickinson College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. I graduated with a psych major and a minor in women's studies. Um, And my research in undergrad really revolved around risk factors and prevention of eating disorders and the way that the internet and social media contribute to eating disorder symptoms. And then more specifically, um, looking at dieting trends on the internet and dieting products and social media and those, how those are related to like consumers and other audiences. And then what the benefits and risk factors are for, I guess the benefits and risks of those trends on the internet, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a lot. Um, and how did I get interested in it? I guess, I mean, I definitely through my adolescence struggled with eating disorder symptoms in some capacity. Um, And I don't think it was really until college that when I got into like my women's studies stuff and I started talking about mental health, um, specifically like targeted at women, that it was really of interest to me. And then I ended up having the opportunity to contribute to some of this research and just been really interested in it ever since. Also, I'd like to just give a disclaimer. I'm not a professional (laughs) and I'm not an expert. I feel like I really need to say that because I'm going to try to be like as objective as possible, but Mm -hmm. I don't have a PhD yet. Yeah. No, I think it's yeah. it, it's important, of course, to like give that disclaimer that like we aren't professionals, obviously, and everyone like goes through these things differently. I think also like hearing you talk about, you know, things when you were younger and stuff, like I feel like when you focus on your friends and like growing up with your friends, like we are those individuals who grew up like seeing those trends in our friends and like seeing yeah, our right. friends seeing our friends struggle with their weight seeing your own personal struggles i feel like this is something that like every single person goes through at one point in their life and so although we aren't professionals like it's great to have these conversations just to like get it out there more cuz it is something that 
I think everyone needs to talk about and like even just like reflect on themselves on like that those trends in yourself and like the things that you you know see Ellie, I wanted to tell you first before we get started that um, I think this is a really important topic. Right now, I am in a senior capstone class for my communications major, and there's only 12 people in the class. And out of the 12, two people decided to talk about how TikTok diet trends are impacting people's mental health. So thank you for coming with this topic because yeah. clearly it's definitely at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. So I think we should get started with those TikTok trends. Yeah. So I don't have TikTok, um, but I have still, I've seen these on the internet all over anyway. And I have, yeah. I've done like some research and looked at a lot of them before this podcast, obviously. They're just so problematic <laughs> for many, many, many ways. And I and I talk about this like in my research lab a lot as well. But I like went through and picked out a lot of the things that I was seeing in them that were reoccurring between them. And probably the biggest thing was that all of these and it, it just so happens that like they're predominantly women who are posting them. But the biggest thing and like the biggest focus I think is calorie counting in like these what I eat in a day. And I'm seeing like 700, 900 calorie counts, like 950, all these women that are like adding up what they eat for the whole day and then putting a total at the end. And like, no matter what you weigh and, you know, how much fat mass you have, how much muscle mass you have, what you're like eating, like what, you know, what you eat regardless, like you should never be eating 900 calories a day. Especially not if you're 15 and could still potentially be growing. Like, it's just ridiculous. Um, and I also think that it's really interesting that like there's this like juxtaposition in these videos between people who will be like, you should drink lemon water for three meals a day and your metabolism will increase. And that's just not true. Like if mm-hmm. you eat, if you undereat, your metabolism slows, like you get what's called like metabolic damage and you end up having like low energy, you have like digestion issues. Like you're just like, you lose your muscle. And like, I don't know, I could go on about this forever, but like, there's all these things in on the internet, like of people wanting to have that like really toned body, that like really thin waist, big butt toned physique. Yeah. And you can't under eat and and achieve that. And it's so upsetting to see like all these videos that are just not abiding by science in any capacity. And it's, mm-hmm. um, it, yeah, it's just really upsetting to see like all these unrealistic expectations for people that are either at a healthy weight or don't need to be losing weight or, you know what I'm saying? And yeah, even, even if you are watching these like what I eat in a day videos or like some of these trends, the, the truth is that every single body is different like and the fact is in those like what I eat in a day videos like I'm not seeing how much you're exercising like I'm not seeing how much like at the end of the day everyone's life is different everyone does different things and that is not going to work for everyone 
What always stands out to me when I see these TikToks is all these concoctions that people are making (laughs) to speed up your metabolism to like help you lose 10 pounds in one week. And when I was younger, I drank a cup of lemon water every morning and I was like, oh my God, I'm, I could eat whatever I want today. My metabolism is so quick, but (laughs) we've all done that at some point. (laughs) And it's obviously not true. And I feel really bad for the young kids that are seeing these videos and they're making their parents go buy them cinnamon so they can mix it into their lemon water. Another thing that I, um, and this is just because this is something that I really connect to are the videos that are like eat eggs all day. Like carbs don't matter. Like you can survive off of this stuff. Like I used to literally be the type of person who would really limit my carbs. I first like I think I've probably been dieting since like the fifth grade and like that was the big thing for me was like less carbs and you can basically just like eat eggs all day have cheese like and and that's somehow healthy and okay and like that is what I'm seeing in these videos and at the end of the day it's like it's crazy how like these trends haven't gone away they're just like in people's faces much more and like I can't imagine just like always seeing that like all day every day right restriction-based dieting which is what you just mentioned like that's what Mm -hmm. it's technically called in science (laughs) yeah is like the biggest risk factor for eating disorders. And I know we're going to talk about this later a little bit maybe, but Mm -hmm. dieting in general, and especially like restricting major categories of food to an extreme extent is like the biggest or one of the biggest risk factors of developing like a full-blown eating disorder. And I was seeing it everywhere. Like this really untruthful, harmful, exaggerated culture and environment that happens, like that can present permanent damages to like large populations of predominantly women. Right. And it's so harmful. Ellie and I, a couple months ago, we were like, we're following like body positive people. Like it's kind of like combating the whole like TikTok, like bad eating trends, diet trends. This opposite group of individuals has kind of like risen a little bit of like calling those things out yes 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 that's exactly the correct word so like this this counterculture of like don't listen to those people like try but the fact is that if you're not trying to get that and if you're not searching up those accounts like you're not trying to find those people then the same shit is going to keep on popping up on your like for you page like you're going to keep on seeing and like stay in that cycle if you're not actively trying to like branch out of it. Something for me that I've been trying to do to get more positive people on my feed, because obviously the TikTok algorithm, the Instagram algorithm, they're giving you what they think you like. So every single time I've seen an influencer on my explore page or on my for you page on TikTok that made me feel bad, or I saw something that I found concerning I say, don't show me this person. Or if I follow that person, I immediately unfollow that person. And the more you do that, the better your feed becomes. Mm -hmm. Um, Just kind of weeding out those people that are posting those diet culture things that 
are not necessarily always true or healthy. So I think that's a good practice just to start maybe just unfollowing every time some someone makes you feel a certain way. And then yeah. hopefully when your explore page starts getting better, then you can start following those like body positive people, people that are encouraging. Um, but that's something I've been doing. And I definitely encourage others to do that because it definitely yeah. helps. It yeah. Does. I think that's, I think that's the biggest thing you can do is really go through your social media accounts and upon seeing posts, really self-reflect on how does this make me feel? Do I feel empowered by this? Do I feel self-conscious about this? Imagine if somebody with an eating disorder took a break from social media for mental health reasons and they logged onto Instagram after, let's say, three months. And the first post they see is a post of a model who makes them feel like shit. Like, imagine how that could spiral somebody who's already in a really vulnerable spot, who was trying to like take a break for, you know, self-improvement, mental health. Mm-hmm. And then they go on and they see something like that. Like, of, co- of course, that's going to trigger you. Of course, that's going to spiral you. And oh my God. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, it happens all the time. It, it really does. The next topic we're going to talk about is like the difference between, eating disorders and like disordered eating wanting to comment on something that i that i personally have dealt with something like that in terms of like um the things that i personally struggle with like when it comes to like self harm if there is not a trigger warning like if there is not like i cannot tell you how many times i've like been watching a tv show or like i've been watching a movie or like something pops up for me and I'm just like that is something that I would have appreciated like a warning about like I am here in a vulnerable state like not wanting to think about these things or not or like not being in a place where I want to and when it really is just like put in your face all the time some people just like really don't understand how it can like really affect you yeah I mean you can't control it is really what exactly it is. Like yeah. think about our parents' age, our grandparents' age, you had to actively seek that out. You went and bought a magazine. My mom never bought magazines. Like she never had magazines around the house because she never wanted me to go pick up a magazine and look at models and magazines and like have that mindset from the very beginning. But when you're not expecting something, it is such a subconscious reaction mm-hmm. and it can be so harmful. So let's move on to this idea of like the difference between having an eating disorder and disordered eating, which I personally would like to say, like struggling with either one, like that has to be mentioned that like it is a struggle. But one thing that I've found in my own social media and like people that I follow is people who have struggled with eating disorders who really don't like the idea of everyone saying like oh my god like I really struggle with this if they're struggling with disordered eating and not having an eating disorder if that makes sense I've also seen that on my social media okay um recently um the difference between disordered eating and eating disorders Mm -hmm. so I think that's important for a lot of people to distinguish the difference. So yeah, disordered eating. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's pathological eating behaviors. So like overly restricting yourself in a category of food or binge eating late at night, 
um, that are abnormal, but they're not sufficient enough to fit a full criteria for an actual eating disorder. So you could be eating what would be considered healthy and then binging at night. And that's all that happens. And it doesn't really disrupt your daily functioning. It's just something that you do. Maybe you don't have body dysmorphia associated with that, but it's technically not sufficient enough to qualify you to have an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Whereas an eating disorder in itself is a cluster of all those symptoms. So maybe you're binging, you're purging. I mean, granted, there's so many eating disorders that a combination of those symptoms would classify you as one or the other, right? But um, altogether, those fit what is like a diagnostic criteria for an eating disorder. So like anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa. And a lot of times it impairs your normal functioning, mm-hmm. which is like a big part of it, I think. Yeah. What we need to be prioritizing is, oh, you're having these symptoms. Okay, you may not have an eating disorder. It may not deal, like it may not impair your daily functioning, but that's not to say in three months that it won't. You need to go mm-hmm. get help. These are the ways to get help. These are the resources you should be reaching out to. Like you can talk to me about it. I think that that's really important. Definitely. I've seen a lot of the posts that Jade's talking about, but I've also seen posts more similar to what you're saying where they lay out the distinction between disordered eating and an eating disorder. But then in the next slide on Instagram specifically, it'll say how this leads to an eating disorder and how not to trigger people that you've noticed disordered eating habits. I've seen a lot of those as well. Um, And it is important to know the distinction. Right. So I think a lot of people are posting it to just show the distinction and maybe call it out for like friends and family. So they know um, what to look for if someone doesn't have an eating disorder and maybe are, have some habits that could lead to it. But I'm thinking about my experience. Like I definitely had disordered eating behavior probably up until probably up until like middle through college. I probably had actual problematic eating, like disordered eating behaviors in high school And I was finding different ways to adjust those early on in college. Um, And I was very lucky because my disordered eating behaviors never um, turned into a full-blown eating disorder, Mm -hmm. nor was I ever diagnosed with one. And I don't think that I have one now. And that's not to say that I don't have hard days or that like, I don't feel guilty sometimes. I think everyone does in some capacity, but I'm really lucky that that didn't happen for me. I feel like our next two points kind of do like lead into each other a little bit. I feel like when we see specifically influencers, people on social, the Kardashians, like people posting (laughs) about like these diet trends, the, you know, the things that they're doing to stay in shape, all of this stuff. Um, And this idea that like dieting or eating really clean or like really focusing on those things specifically can lead to disordered eating and therefore eating disorders um and like just like how bad that can really be for people's mental health um so like let's talk a little bit about like diet culture in general and like how that's related to each other yeah okay so in general dieting can lead to an eating disorder, which sounds crazy. But when you're dieting and restricting yourself for caloric intake reasons, Mm -hmm. it just in general is a risk factor 
for a development of an eating disorder. Um, I think there was, this, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to come at you with the uh, science facts. <laughs> there was a study done in 1999 that found that female subjects who dieted at a severe level were 18 times more likely to develop an eating disorder. And females who dieted at a moderate level were five times more likely to develop an eating disorder. And that was in 1999, which is like the craziest thing to me because it for sure is higher now. So just think about that. Like 1999, that's what the statistics were saying. So part of my research and part of one of the studies that I'm doing right now that I'm working on um, asked participants about questions regarding bloggers and dieting products, right? So like the the Kardashians who... (laughs) Who um, at some point advertised like those lollipops, which were like appetite suppressant lollipops or something like that. So what was really interesting after uh, asking all these people and the way that we did it, we sent out text messages to like thousands of people. So it wasn't anybody in a certain like age range or area, right? Oh, gotcha. But what was interesting is that the average layperson came back and was like, yeah, I understand that they are advertising that for marketing like problems instead of, uh, or they're advertising it for marketing instead of because they actually like this product, right? Mm-hmm. So they recognized that it was for a marketing scheme instead of this person actually enjoying the product and using it and wanting other people to use it, right? The issue's still there. People, I think, and I don't know why this happens. I, I'm assuming it's like what I said before. It's kind of like when you're, it's out of context and you're thinking about it, you're like, oh yeah, they're definitely only doing that for the money. They're not doing that because they actually are using them and they're working. But I think when you're scrolling through social media and you're seeing it subconsciously, you're like, oh, this person uses metabolism drops that have raspberry ketones in it, which they are how it's advertised. It's totally going to help me lose weight. When in reality, like raspberry ketones, they don't do anything for you. There is no scientific evidence, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know why this happens. But apparently people are like, yeah, I get it. They're using it for the money. They're using it because they don't actually, they probably are harmful to you. But I don't think that happens in, in practice. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting because for me personally, and also as a communication student, like we're constantly taught to critically analyze media. So every time I see celebrities posting something, I immediately think, oh, they're probably not using it. They're just getting money from the company. But still with those lollipops, even if you're not thinking, oh, those work, I think just the thought that it's an appetite suppressant, you're just thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't be eating that much. So even if you don't think of the product, it just puts in your head that you should be eating less or you should lose weight or you just look at like Kim Kardashian. You're like, oh, she's beautiful. I wish I looked like that. And she's having that lollipop and you think, oh, maybe I'll skip a meal. So I think it's not even just the product. It's the fact that they're putting out these ideas to people on social media. So even if people don't trust that they're using the product, they're still subconsciously thinking about what that product would do Mm -hmm. and maybe just taking it upon themselves to do that. Another thing that I... I'm thinking about right now as we're talking about it is no matter what like even if it's not um like the lollipops or if it's like one of the teas or if it's like a product like that 
either way, we're constantly being told to shrink ourselves. Like whether it be like the waist trainers, like the amount of times like Kim Kardashian has been like, I'm waist training, like I everyone wants a waist like this one. Like even just um what's your company called? It's called Skin Skins. Skins. Yeah. Like we are being told and marketed to that like we need to be we need to just like look tinier something else that i was thinking about that i probably should have mentioned earlier is that i was seeing all these videos like ta- when we were talking about tiktok that have to do with weight loss and i think that a a much bigger distinction needs to be made between weight loss and fat loss right cuz you can mm. detox your day away for a month and a half and you might lose all that water weight and you might lose 10 pounds, 15 pounds, whatever it may be, but you're not losing fat, which is like when people like influencers who are promoting weight loss, that's what they mean. That's just not what they're saying. And if you're trying to lose fat, what you really have to do is work out, which means you have to eat more so that you can lift weights so that you can burn fat the next day. Like that's what you should be doing if you're really trying to healthily lose fat, but no one market it like markets it like that, especially not Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Who's had surgery. So (laughs) she loses all credibility anyway. Exactly. Cause it's just none of us normal people are like, have that, that money or like that, the, ability to even like change ourselves to that point which like good for them that they do and like if that's something that they struggle with and they wanted to change like okay like I have no problem with plastic surgery but like but you shouldn't be marketing it to other people who who can't who can't have it as something that you can do naturally that's not the issue with like I'll say I had a breast reduction a couple years back Mm -hmm. something that they talked about to me uh, before I actually got the surgery was about losing weight. They had asked if I had like lost a certain amount of pounds. I think it was like 25 pounds or something at that point mm-hmm. to ensure that I wasn't just doing it. I mean, I was having massive pain, but they were, I think, ensuring that it wasn't just like a weight issue that was giving me the pain. It was like a very specific part of my body. Mm-hmm. And I would never in a million years tell someone that this was the way that I, you know, it was like, na- this was natural. I mean, I love talking about it because I love, you know, the awareness of like, this is something that you can do for yourself to like prevent, you know, having pain, like chronic pain. But the problematic thing is when people treat it like it was something that they just did on their own from waking up (laughs) at five in the morning and walking on a treadmill for a half hour, when in reality, you could do that every day of your life and never look like Kim Kardashian. I would respect people so much more if they were open about the plastic surgery that they've had and what's realistic and what's not. Because again, if you want to do that and you want to have plastic surgery, I'm all for it. You should, but don't market it as something that a 15-year-old can achieve because they can't. Going back to what we were talking about before, like this this question of like, but why? Like, why are we um, kind of like drawn in, I guess, to these things? For me, it was always about the timing. I was like, I want to lose weight and I want to lose it fast. I, I think that's the reason people are so drawn to these like get skinny quick schemes because people don't want to put in the work and you want instant gratification. That's definitely my issue when I'm working towards something and I don't see any results and I'm like, what am I doing? And then I move mm-hmm. on to something else. That's just like an issue I have. 
But I think that's something with a lot of people, they just want to be really thin for a wedding that they're going to, or for just for the summer for, so they could wear their bikini comfortably on the beach or they're going on vacation or they're going on a date and they want in one week to completely change the way they look, um, which obviously can't happen. And I think that's why there's such uh, problems on social media because people want to use these products that are going to work really quick, even if they think it might not be long-term, they want it for a specific occasion or just for themselves to feel better instantly. So I think there's an issue there for sure. Yeah. I love that you said instant gratification because it's so what it is because Mm -hmm. we get instant gratification with everything else nowadays. Yeah. We just expect our bodies to catch up, but biology doesn't catch up to social media. So this next topic is actually something that I'm like really interested about. And I want to just like read the first sentence from this article. So um, one thing is like the research in terms of when it comes to people of color suffering from disordered eating or eating disorders. And the reason why it's important to bring up is like literally the first sentence of this article. So this is from eatingdisordersreview.com. So the title is African-American Women and Eating Disorders, Depression and the Strong Black Women Archetype. The first sentence here is, while eating disorders have long been considered a white woman's problem, recent findings show that eating disorders are becoming a major health issue for black women. Oh, and the author of this is Carolyn Coker-Ross always given uh, credit. Um, So I think like the main takeaway from this is that idea of like a white woman's problem. I think living in the world that we do live in, this like patriarchal society where like white supremacy is the water that we swim in, there are issues that like are just when it comes to like the research and like the focus on this, like it really is focused on the majority, which is white people. And then therefore, like even just our medical industry in general, like, and then therefore no research, no money is put into recognizing how people of color struggle with this because those can be completely different struggles for completely different individuals who are suffering with completely different societies. White people live in a world that was made for them. People of color who are never getting to see themselves in media, never getting to see themselves in like like very rarely in positive ways are then struggling with this because like they feel left out of this world that like wasn't made for them and going back to like health classes and seeing like I was talking to Alex about this before like seeing those like videos of like talking about eating disorders and like in our stupid like middle school health class like oh I remember (laughs) yeah like people of color aren't seen struggling with that or like struggling with mental health, really. Um, It's just not something that is talked about. So therefore, it feels like a lonely thing to feel like it's abnormal for you to be struggling with this. Like you shouldn't be struggling with it. It's hard when there's not like the research there for you to figure it out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this article obviously like focuses like just on like black women specifically um, and how they are seen in media because like it talks about the strong black women archetype and how that can be really harmful for women because for black women because if they're constantly only seeing one type of black woman on screen and one type of black woman in the media then they feel like they have to be that type of person but I think on social media like I don't I don't see a lot of people of color like at the forefront of this conversation, I think. They're obviously out there making this content a hundred percent, but like they're not at the top of my like for you page. I have not seen like any of that like pop up for me. Um, which is why I just started posting that girl on my story. If you guys saw, like, I love her. Like, she loves her role. She loves her belly. Like, she, I don't know, like, where she's from. She, like, sounds Dominican to me, but I really can't know, obviously. Um, But, like, it, like, that is what we need more of is, like, these people of color, like, getting that, like, voice and, like, that stage that they need and, like, that attention as well. Yeah. So I think that's, like, such a big issue unless you have like a very diverse research pool, you're never going to get therapy or resources correct to fit those people, which is why I think that like the statistics show that I think women of color experience eating disorders, like similarly to white women, but they actually receive less help. Right. Cause I guess if you don't have that help in place already and you don't have, let's say like therapy that is, accustomed to women of color, like to Mm -hmm. treat race, race related trauma in correlation with eating disorders, right? If you don't have that already, then of course you're not going to receive help as a woman of color going to a doctor because they don't know what to refer you to. They don't know how to help you. It's like this ever going cycle that is never going to get solved until we start including and having conversations and talking and writing about like those populations of people and how to best help them. And I'm Mm -hmm. not saying it's not a difficult conversation right? Or like a difficult thing to do, but like you have to have it. Otherwise change is never going to happen. With like coronavirus and everything happening right now, I think that's been a huge topic is like just how people of color are treated in the medical industry in general. Also, intersectionality is everything. So also (laughs) bringing men into this conversation, like you said, like, is that something that you have looked into or like dealt with also like it's obvious that it's talked about less in regards to men yeah Um, it is for sure and men are starting to experience eating disorders or be diagnosed with eating disorders like almost to the same rate as women I -hmm. think but no one talks about it and because no one talks about it men are less likely to seek out help for it I think or to recognize symptoms as being an eating disorder and yeah, I actually don't know much about men and eating disorders. And when you guys asked me to look into that for this, I was like, holy shit, I haven't, re- I don't know anything um, because there's less research on it. Like I'm seeing less on my end. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, definitely being a woman in gender studies minor, I've talked about it. <laughs> Intersectionality is where it's at. But um, yeah, but I don't think that, I think the problem is too, is with social media, it is getting worse for everyone. Yeah. We just think of it as it's getting worse for women because it was already bad for women. But mm. 
the problem is now men are seeing like jacked men all over their Instagram. And they're like, I want to look like Chris Hemsworth. Well, honey, you, you can't because he works out 17 hours a day and he probably has seven personal trainers and all of this kind of stuff, you know? And so yeah. it like ends up like fostering this really unhealthy environment and like culture for men, just similarly as women. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't comment on it. I'm not a man. When I think of being younger, I always remember seeing those dumbass commercials of like the guys that are like toned and like all oily and they're like, <laughs> buy these fitness videos and like, you can be talking? like us. Yes. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, like oiled like, down with baby oil head to toe. Seriously. In the sun. Yeah. And you really think that just by buying this video and like, like following. That. Yeah. And that is they grew up with the same things that we grew up with on TV and um and they're at the end of the day anyone's appearance is going to affect them like anyone's going to feel self-conscious about something at some point in their lives i mean i don't have much to comment on for the male perspective because I'm an only child of a single mother. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how men are experiencing it, but I think like, like you said, like everyone is seeing how people are dieting and how people look on social media. And I think society in general has become very vain and interested in appearances. So I can't imagine it being any different for men. They see it. And also I just think it's, really upsetting that society has made the character of a person with an eating disorder a young white woman because I feel that anyone that doesn't fit that description would have a hard time coping with it because they're like oh but I don't have an eating disorder because I'm not fitting the description so Mm -hmm. I think maybe we, I mean, obviously people need to seek out research for it, but I also think a lot of people don't come forward with those issues because they don't feel like it's happening to them. And I think that's really concerning and that definitely needs to change. So there is a new eating disorder, which isn't in the DSM. So it's not in like the official diagnostic book yet, but I'm pretty sure it will be called orthorexia nervosa. And not a lot of people know about it, but it is very interesting to me. On paper, it's a it's an obsession with eating healthy, which doesn't sound bad, but it's not just eating health. It's not just an obsession with eating things that like you define as healthy. It's like the pathological obsession and fixation of it, so that to the point that it like really affects your daily living, right? So like, let's say that, and I don't know if it's this extreme, but let's for the sake of the argument say that like you define healthy eating as mm-hmm. in quotations healthy eating as eating chicken breast and broccoli, right? And that's like what you consider. And what I guess what they found with people who have orthorexia or like fit the criteria is that they highly and extremely restrict certain areas of food. So you could say like chicken breast and broccoli is the only thing I consider healthy. And again, that may be really extreme, but just for the sake of the argument, we'll say that, right? So then Mm -hmm. what they find is that people who have this in like a family setting or a social setting, if they're eating with other people and they're not offered what like very specifically what they consider as healthy, it causes a lot of guilt, a lot of distress, a lot of body dysmorphia because they think, oh, I'm not eating healthy. So I must be eating bad. And mm. that's like the really ugly mental like mentality that they have. And yeah, so that's like what is upcoming in research. There's not a lot on it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of what we're looking at in my lab is 
about social media and the internet and the ways that that probably most likely has contributed to this new disorder. Yeah. Uh, Because like going all the way back full circles to those TikTok videos, you're seeing what people are self-defining as healthy. And then other people are listening to that and they're like, oh, I should be drinking turmeric in a glass too. Like Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily healthy. Right. And if you become really obsessed and fixated on that kind of stuff to a point where it really disrupts your lifestyle, now you have an eating disorder. And it's crazy in my opinion that the internet can produce a new eating disorder. Like it can (laughs) produce like a huge population of people that are like this restrictive with themselves to the point that it causes like mental issues. Like that's insane. It's crazy, but it happens, Mm -hmm. you know, and we need to like adjust for that. I think. I personally love these conversations that like we've been having. I think um, at the end of the day, like although we may not be professionals, this is, something that still affects our lives it's still something that like we care about care enough to talk about and do the research about um and it's really important topic because there's a lot of young individuals out there that are probably on their phone more than i am and seeing all this stuff even more and you really have to have control over what you're seeing and like you you need to like try and take back control I guess like is the word um, and try and like make it work for you and um, that can be really hard the two things that I want to end with are definitely talking about like resources for anyone who feels like they do need help or they just need to like or they know someone who might need help yeah yeah Um, and then we also have like a fun way to end the conversation Okay, well, I can talk about resources first. Yes, take it away. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I like kind of what we were talking about earlier. Like I've been unfollowing people who make me feel gross and following a lot of people that are like very body positive and um, a lot of people that call out fake people on the internet, shall we say. Mm -hmm. So I I had an idea because I have like a list of a lot of people that I think are helpful to follow for this kind of stuff. So I'll put up something on my page. I'll put like a highlight of all of the people that I think are necessary. So follow me on Instagram if you want, and then you can find that kind of stuff. Now I have to look at what my Instagram is because I can't. Oh, it's at Ellie Aubrey. So E-L-L-I-E-A-B-R-I. Aubrey is my middle name. I am private, so just request me. Um, But yeah, but I'll put up something that has all of those people's pages because I actually think that they're really, really important to look at and they're just really awesome. But yeah, so there's that. And then I know when I was looking for us, I saw this website called anad.com, which looks like a great resource. It's a nonprofit that has eating disorder support groups and therapy and treatment and stuff like that. So, but I would definitely check out that just for resources and um, for support and help. I know that they have a list of other resources as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So that should be like the hub that people go to if they're looking for things. Also go look at Jamila Jamil. She's just really cool. I know we've talked about her a lot at Dickinson because she actually went to Massachusetts, I think, to help with legislation that ended up being passed that requires you to be over the age of 18 to see ads for diet products. So anybody under the age of 18 now on Instagram is not going to get ads that are promoting things like weight loss pills, supplements, or um, like I think even protein powders, I guess those are technically supplements, but things like that. 
Um, and she was part of that and she's just really, really cool. I watch like everything she does. So go follow her first and go look up things that she's done. And I totally stole what she said about like, um, unfollowing people that aren't like that make you trigger your lifestyle change and things like that. That was totally Mm -hmm. her. So I really only think that culture is going to change if influencers take a stand and devote their activity on their channels to like a counterculture that promotes a healthy lifestyle, right? Because like we live in an age of social media. This like has gotten worse because of social media. I only think it's going to get better because of social media. I definitely agree because social media is not going to go away. It's just going to keep growing and there's nothing anyone can do about that, I don't think. So I think it's just up to people that have platforms to do the right thing and promote the right things And they're the only people that I think can change it because there's no way everyone's leaving social media. I just don't see that as uh, plausible. And I don't think you have to. I don't think that like I'm on social media and I talk about all the time how it's shit. Like, I don't think you have to remove yourself from a culture that's pretty much so ingrained in our society to be able to like have a healthy relationship with it, which is why I advocate for people to like unfollow like we said, people that make you feel bad and only follow people that make you feel good because you don't have to remove yourself. You just have to be smart about the way you use it. Alex, uh, introduce the FMK. I'm like, I'm so excited. I asked for FMK submissions on our Instagram story and we got so many wonderful ones. They're really funny and we're definitely going to be using them. So if you submitted one and we're not using it this week, <laughs> please stay tuned because we're going to yeah. use but this one is a Thanksgiving edition FMK. It was submitted by Grace Jacobs, who I just want to shout out because I love and miss her. Love uh, you. So this is the FMK. Mashed potatoes, stuffing, mac and cheese. Oh, 100% I got this. <laughs> Go for it. Oh, easy for me. Okay. All right. Okay. I got to kill off stuffing, which is really unfortunate. However, I am gluten-free. So I have not been able to eat stuffing for the last five years of my life. Mm-hmm. And gluten-free stuffing just hits different. It is not the same. So I got to kill off stuffing, unfortunately. However, I could eat mashed potatoes for every day, every meal of every day of my life. Mm-hmm. I will marry mashed potatoes. And I will fuck around with mac and cheese because I um, oh, love mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. But mac and cheese is like you eat it once a week and it like fulfills your mac and cheese craving. You know, I could wake up and eat mashed potatoes every morning. Mm-hmm. So there you go. My heart is telling me to go with what Ellie just said because I love potatoes. Like I say this all the time. Like I will take my potatoes in any form. French fries, my favorite food. I like, ate a uh, sweet potato for dinner last night. Like so just that. It's just sweet potato. <laughs> I do. I just like love potatoes. And if the mashed potatoes are like good, like really good then like yes I can totally marry mashed potatoes but it's like mac and cheese I love mac and cheese and if it's like if it's like really good like baked mac and cheese then I could also marry that but I think let's just go with my gut and my dedication to potatoes I will marry mashed potatoes fuck mac and cheese and kill stuffing I do have my answer but before I say it disclaimer Mac and cheese is my favorite food. (laughs) It was never a Thanksgiving food for my family. Like I make mac and cheese for Thanksgiving, like for my friends giving now, just because I love mac and cheese, but it was never a Thanksgiving food. 
Mm-hmm. So I am going to kill mac and cheese, but that doesn't mean it's not my favorite food. It's just not my Thanksgiving food. Because if this is Thanksgiving edition, I'm going to kill it. Okay. I feel like there's a trend with Alex for all of these. And I'm solely basing this on the fact that I just listened to your intro episode. <laughs> and she was like, I love Emma Stone, but I'm going to kill but her. I'm gonna- <laughs> need to give a disclaimer. Yeah. I love that, you, I love that you're loyal, but you're willing to grow. Yeah. I love that. These are really, they mean nothing, but they're so important to me. I have to explain myself. I love it. It's so um, great. <laughs> then, okay, so I'm going to fuck stuffing. Um, I love stuffing. My grandma makes a really good stuffing and I love it. But of course I have to marry mashed potatoes because yes. Matt, I could eat those all day, every day, just like you guys. Right? I don't know how people don't marry mashed potatoes. I don't know why people aren't allowed to marry mashed potatoes. <laughs> I think they're- oh, we're moving into a different subject. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, yeah, there you go. Honestly, I really love this. I think once again, it just so happens like every time I have Ellie on, it's just a great episode. Um, <laughs> Stop, you're flattering me. I'm blessing. Um, I'm really happy that we talked about all of this. Um, once again, obviously, we're not professionals, just really talking from our own personal um, struggles, I guess, and like our own experiences with social media, of course, the only thing we can do. But yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Ellie, for being here. I love you. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you back for another one soon. Bye. Woo. <laughs>